Amen. Well, we are starting a brand new series this morning, and I honestly am excited, been thinking and praying about this for many weeks now, and so I pray that you have been praying as well. Uh, This morning, we're starting our series, Chasing Carrots, and I love that intro because it depicts what so many of us spend so much of our life doing. And just running and running and running on that hamster wheel, just trying to get that next thing and never seeming to ever really accomplish or to gain what it is we're seeking outside of Christ. And so the series is Chasing Carrots, The Endless Pursuit of Something More. Greatest struggles that we have, it is the desire for like, that next point of approval, that next check, that next raise, that next relationship, whatever it is, we are constantly looking for that next thing, that pursuit of something more. Uh, We want whatever that one thing is, and then I'll be happy, right? If I can get that one thing, that next thing, then I'll finally feel satisfied, Uh, For some of you, it's if I can buy that house, then I would be happy. If I can just get into that house that I've always wanted, that dream home, then I'll be happy. Maybe for some, it's okay, I have the home that I want, but if I can just get that cabin, if I can just get that vacation spot, then, oh man, then I'll really be happy. If I can get that vehicle that I've always wanted, that dream car, if I could just get to that next thing. And for some of us, it's different things at different seasons, right? For some of us, it's not so much the material stuff. Maybe it's the acceptance of others. If I could just get that person's approval, if I could just get that person to think more of me, if I could get the admiration of that person, if I could just get it perfect, if I could just have perfection, then then I'll be happy. If I could just get one more of those things. And it just goes on and on and on. And this is the pull, I believe, more so than any other thing for American Christians. It's that, that dangling carrot. It's that desire for something more. It's that next thing. And you know what happens often in life? We achieve that thing that we've longed for. We think, oh, this thing will make me happy. And then we get it and we find out that happiness is temporary. And what we thought we really wanted really didn't satisfy like we thought it would because we're not designed, and you need to get this now, we're not designed to be satisfied by earthly things. As followers of Christ, we can be joyful, we can be happy in the blessings we have, we can enjoy the great blessings we have, we can enjoy family time and, and all the things that God has blessed us with, we can enjoy those things and be thankful for those things, but we are not designed ultimately to be satisfied merely in earthly things. See, we are created and designed to be satisfied by something more, something so much more than just earthly stuff. And earthly stuff comes in many forms, but it's just those temporary things of life. See, those things, those everyday, ordinary things that we think, man, if I get that, then I'll be happy. We find we are never truly satisfied. I don't remember the athlete's name. I saw the video years back, and it was a, uh, an athlete who had won a championship. And they had worked their whole high school career, college career, professional career to get to that point. And I believe it was a baseball player, if I'm remembering the story right. But in any case, he's sitting, he said he was sitting in a hot tub with other guys on his team. And they were just reflecting over the championship and the, all the, the parade and all the celebration. And they had their rings and they're sitting there. And they said they all kind of at once, as they were talking about this, he said he was sitting there. He just kind of went, I thought this would be more. Like, like I thought I would feel different after winning this. I thought I would feel like it would satisfy me more. But he realized as he came to Christ and understand what real satisfaction is, he enjoyed and appreciated the success of the championship. I mean, any craft that you do, any any field that you're in, if you can do it well, it's always good to try to strive to do it as best as you can. I understand that. And it's great when others recognize that and that you did it greatly or that you did it well. That's all good. But this person understood achieving the highest point in his career. I mean, this is the top of the top. He sat back and went, man, I thought it would satisfy me more. I thought it would leave me fuller. 
you know, many athletes, and kind of that field is an easy one to illustrate with, many athletes really don't even get to enjoy their victory of championship for very long. Why? Because in a few short months, everything resets to zero, and it all starts over again. And isn't it amazing how quickly even fans of sports forget how their team had done or how this player had done, and now it's just, what have you done for me lately? Right? We don't understand that as Lions fans. We don't really get that whole idea of championship. We're like, yay, we made it to the playoffs once or twice. That's great. We didn't win, but we made it. We were in the game, though, for the first half. So, so we don't understand that, right? But, I mean, when you think about this in any field, I mean, I remember hearing Olympic athletes Talk about when they achieved gold medals and they're on the podium and, and all that they'd worked for and how great it was. And yet they still felt after everything was said and done and the fanfare went away, right? And the articles stopped being written. The interviews stopped. They realized there's just, there's just no substance to this like I thought there was. For some of you, it's different things in different seasons. Over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about the things that we contend to chase after. Now, again, one of these topics or a couple of these topics in the next five weeks may speak more directly to where you are than someone else. And so you may think, well, that, that, that doesn't really apply to me. I don't really find myself falling into that category. I'm not really chasing that carrot, if you will. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about the pursuit of fame, the pursuit of fame. And as I just said, most of us would say we're not chasing fame. We have a picture in our mind of what fame is, and we would think, I'm not chasing fame. I don't want to be famous. I think many of us, though, would be surprised to find out that you may be chasing fame. Some of us or some of you, either in person or online, may desire to be known broadly. You want everyone to know you. You want everyone to know what you do and how well you do it. Some of you are tempted to fame and pr the pursuit of fame by being wanting to be loved by everybody. Uh, you want everyone to love you. You want everyone to like you and to be okay with you. Some of you battle with a pursuit of fame that you want to be accepted by others. Just everyone accept me, everyone approve of me. Some of us want to be admired and respected among my peers above all else. I want to be famous in the sense that everyone in my circle of peers, all of my coworkers, those in my area of influence, man, they admire me. They look up to me. And that is a form of fame. You want to be better, greater than, more attention on you than on others. You want everyone to know the work that you did and want the credit for it. You want everyone to know what you did and man, they better recognize me for it as well. And actually, when you don't get the credit for what you did, it bothers you. It eats away at you. You get mad about it and bitter about it. Because ultimately, you're pursuing fame. You want your, your coworkers, your family, your friends to sit back and just go, wow, man, that's amazing. You're so, man, look how good. And we, when we don't get that, we actually get mad. I, I'm not kidding you. In ministry... I've been in ministry just a handful of years now, but talking to pastor friends that have been in ministry a lot longer, people have come to me years back and to pastor friends that I know and literally stopped serving in ministry in a, in a church because they didn't feel as though they got enough credit for what they were doing. Now, is there anything wrong with saying thank you to someone that serves? Absolutely not. We should be doing that. But there are some people, I'm telling you, I had some years back. Now, most of you wouldn't even know this person, but years back, this person came to me and said, you know, I just need to stop doing this ministry. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What's going on? How can we help? Well, you know, I just, I just haven't been thanked enough for what I do. That's not an exaggeration. That is a quote. I have not been thanked enough for what I do. And I, that just bothers me. So you know what? I'm done. And I very graciously, as gracious as I could, because, you know, there's that moment we talked about for the flesh and the spirit, and you want to say something, but God's like, don't say that, because that's not very Christ-like. Say this. And I'm like, Lord, but I don't really mean that right now. I really mean this. And I just graciously say this person, I'm really sorry that you feel that way, but thank you for letting me know, and we'll, we'll ask someone else to do that ministry then. 
Now, see, what this person wanted me to do was to grovel. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you, 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 thank you. Listen, this person made a decision that their desire to get the credit for doing what they were doing was greater than the desire to please Christ in what they were doing apart from any thank you or gratitude. Nothing wrong with saying thank you. Nothing wrong with appreciating people. We can and and we, we should look for ways to encourage people and to appreciate people. I'm not saying that's wrong. But man, if our desire above all else is to just get the credit, just you recognize how awesome I am, then we're pursuing fame. We're wanting to be known. Again, you want others to know you are a good person and they look up to you. You're a great mom, a great dad, a great husband, a great wife, and you want people to look up to you for it. Some struggle in our day and age, and maybe, again, maybe this is you, and this is how you would see this pursuit of fame in your own Christian life. Some struggle with taking the right picture for social media. And now if you're sitting there like, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard, that's because this isn't a struggle for you. That doesn't mean you should just fluff it off. People struggle with this. Listen, there's people that will literally take 10 to 15 pictures just to get the right angle and the right light and the right this. And then if it doesn't get enough likes, they'll delete the picture because, well, nobody really liked it. Some, I've heard stories about people that have tried to create situations just to take an impulsive picture. Look what just randomly happened after 15 takes and setting the whole thing up in my kitchen. So we have to realize this pursuit of fame comes in many, many forms. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, you know what? In all the things you just listed, I would not even be close to tempted. That is not anything I battle with. That's fine. Maybe you know someone or someone God has placed in your life does struggle with these things. Maybe some of you are parents of soon-to-be teenagers or teenagers, and maybe you see some of these things in your children right now, those seeds of those things, and you, by God's grace, can speak truth into their lives and help them to realize it's not about the fame they get from others. It's about their identity in Christ. It's not about the likes or getting verified or getting the check mark or whatever it is that they think it is. So maybe you're sitting like, that's not me. I don't, I don't battle with that. But maybe God has or will place someone in your life that you can encourage in this area. Some statistics I found interesting as I was preparing for this and looking into some things from a couple years back. I found it interesting. Some uh, statistics say that among 10 to 12-year-olds, 10 to 12-year-olds, their biggest goal, their biggest desire, it's not, believe it or not, financial security. It's not achievement in their work area or schooling. It's not community. It's fame. 10 to 12-year-olds, greatest goal, greatest desire is just be known, be famous in our culture today. But that's not just true of kids. Listen to some of these numbers. I was blown away by this. 22 to 37-year-olds, okay? So I'm just a hair, a hair out of that range, okay? 22 to 37-year-olds, 50% believe their life should be made into a movie. Let that sink in for a moment. Think back over the last 22 to 37 years. I mean, really, have you done really much? I mean, if we're being honest... Greatest generation of all time, you know, that you make a movie of those individuals, people that grew up in the 90s. I mean, okay, Yahoo, Google, good job. You came up with that stuff. Great, good. 22 to 37 year olds, 50% believe their life should be made into a movie, okay? One in 12, one in 12 would disown their family to become a household name. One in 12 would disown their family to become a household name. One in nine would give up getting married if they could be famous. If they could become famous, they would, they would willingly say, I'll never get married. Some of you, you're like, didn't know that was an option. (laughs) Rethinking some things too late. Nope. Too late. One in six would give up having children if they could be famous. One in six would give up having children. And the percentage goes up depending on the day with your children, right? You're like, oh, I kind of, yeah. 
This is not just a kid thing. This is, this is a cultural thing. People want to be famous. They want to be known. They want others to love them and like them and appreciate them. And let me just tell you, there's nothing wrong with being famous. There's nothing wrong with people that are famous. It's not like they're sinning by being known and being well known. But as we're going to discover, it's the pursuit of that fame that comes into question. That's where we need to really evaluate there. But being famous, being known, nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of very godly individuals that live for Christ that are very well-known individuals. Nothing wrong with that. I want to look at an example of this fame and a fame that is not wrong or intrinsically sinful. First Chronicles, First Chronicles in the Old Testament, chapter 14. First Chronicles chapter 14. If you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, it's page 320. Page 320, if you're using one of the Bibles provided. First Chronicles 14. So we have to understand the, 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 the fact of being known or being famous or being well-known, that is not the problem. As we're going to discover, it's the pursuit of those things. And we'll talk about the difference in just a moment. First Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 16. The Bible says this, David therefore did as God commanded him and they smote the host of the Philistines from Gibeon even to Gezer. And the fame of David went out into all lands. And the fame of David went out into all Lands And the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather and to grow, to learn more about you and about our identity in you. And Father, I know that this is a topic that, again, for some is going to hit really close to home. For others, they may feel a little disconnected. They're not really sure how to apply it to their lives. For some, it's not really even for them, but you're giving them this message and this information so they might help and guide and lead someone else that you've put in their lives. And Father, I truly do lift up our parents and grandparents that are raising children in this culture today because, Lord, this is something that I see and have seen for many years now, a pull against the, the young people in our country and in our culture this desire to be famous, to be known. And Lord, unfortunately, so many people will sacrifice and compromise their standards, their values, their identity in Christ to get another like, to get an approval of someone else, to gain the approval of someone they're in a relationship with. Father, I just pray that as only you can, that by your spirit, you'd give us great wisdom. Father, help us, Lord, whether we are young people here today to the teens that are in the service today, Lord, that I just pray you'd open their hearts and minds to what you have for them. I pray, Lord, that they would know that their value and their worth does not come from how many likes they get, how many views, how many shares. Lord, it comes from their, their intrinsic value, which is found as being a created being by you, by your hand, and that in Christ they can know you and be known of you find heaven as their home for eternity and live in a way that would honor you. So Father, in all these things, whether we're struggling in being known and famous in regards to wanting to be known for what we do, get the credit, make sure people envy us just a little bit, envy the car in the driveway, envy the house. Father, whether we're younger or older, Lord, just give us wisdom and how we might apply these things. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this verse is interesting. The Bible tells us that David was actually famous. And some have debated what this means in all the lands. Some people think it just means in the border lands of Israel, that the border nations knew who David was. Some have suggested, no, it spread much farther than that, that the fame of David his greatness as a king, as a military leader, and his ability to, to do what God called him to do and where he placed him to be, that that fame will spread throughout the known world at the time, 
that God made David famous. And there's no mention that it was wrong. Think about Solomon in the Old Testament. Solomon was given the opportunity to make a request of God. Uh, God gave Solomon the opportunity. He said, ask anything and I'll give it to you. That's an interesting question because an interesting request because we might ask for things that would not be wise. Right? Very temporary things. But Solomon prayed that he would receive wisdom in judgment as a king. So that he wanted God's wisdom that as he judged and made judgments as a king, that he would do those judgments in a way that would honor God. Some people have said that Solomon was wise in all areas of his life. Well, when you read the story of Solomon's life, you're going to find out he did not use wisdom in all areas of his life. In fact, some have given him the blame for causing the kingdom of Israel to split into two separate kingdoms. And so Solomon didn't use wisdom in all areas of his life. He was given wisdom to judge as a king, to make judgments. But unfortunately, Solomon didn't really use that in the right way. You see, God made Solomon wise, but he also made him famous. God's response to Solomon's request of of wisdom and judgment was that because Solomon didn't ask for fame and wealth and all these things, God said, I'm going to give you wealth and fame because you asked for wisdom and not wealth. But it was in that giving of those gifts that Solomon had a choice to make. Do I use the wisdom God gave me to see this as all a gift from him or do I use it to promote self? And to promote what I want. You see, fame is not sinful. God gave David fame. God gave Solomon great fame. You could even suggest that Jesus was famous in the sense that God made Jesus famous in the known world and still to this day. It's not being famous that is the problem. It's the pursuit of fame that if not checked will carry your heart away from God the things of God and others and focus only on self. It is the pursuit of fame. All those things we talked about in the beginning, all those ways you might define fame, all those things you think fame might be described as as far as being broadly known and loved by others and accepted and approved and all these things. It's that pursuit of those things that when not checked will change the trajectory of our heart away from God, away from the things of God, away from other people and serving others to self, to what makes me known, what gets me attention. And I have to say, I think in our day and age today, being famous is much easier than it used to be. Being famous is much easier than it used to be. The temptation to be famous is more appealing and readily available today than ever before due to the rise in social media. Things like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, all these other apps and things that are out there today. The, the opportunity to be known is so much more readily available. It used to be you were famous for being an athlete, for being an inventor, right? For being somebody that made some great impact or some form of an impact on a society for being somebody that was intelligent and wrote books and did things of that nature. That is not the case today. You can be famous for literally anything. There is a woman and I thought about showing the video, but every time I saw the video, it just made me kind of feel like weird inside. So I was like, I'm not going to do that. There's a woman who is famous and I don't know if she said it on a couple years ago, she had thousands and thousands of followers for taking her face and smashing bread on camera. Yeah, that was my response when I heard this. You've got to be kidding me. She records herself, loaf of bread, face, smashing the bread and smushing the bread. Thousands and thousands of people watch this. She makes money smashing bread with her face. There are people that have YouTube channels and all they do is play video games. Grown men play video games and thousands of people watch them play video games. It's, it's crazy. When my kids were a little younger, they used to watch different YouTube channels celebrities or whatever, different people. This one guy, literally, probably in his 20s, 
would get together with four of his other friends who were in their 20s. Giant house, massive house, beautiful home. And they would literally play hide and seek. That's the whole video. Just them playing hide and seek. I remember once I asked him, I said, wouldn't you have more fun if you were actually playing hide and seek? Oh, no, no, that's not nearly as fun as watching these guys run around like just crazy people. All the noises and all the crazy sound effects and all the stuff. Playing hide and seek. Do you know people are famous for reviewing toys? Just opening a toy, playing with a toy. People love this. You're famous. There was a story a few years ago of a kid who worked at Target. Some cashier at Target. I forget his name. But this girl in line thought he was cute. It's like a 16-year-old kid at Target. So she took a picture of him, put it on social media. By the end of the day, the kid had over 300,000 viewers, followers, people, whatever. Just because some girl thought, that kid's kind of cute. I'm going to take his picture. Famous. It's just crazy today. The temptation to be famous, to be liked, to be known is more readily available than ever before. And so we have to pause and ask this question. When we feel this pull, when we feel this desire, what do we do with it? How do we guard against these things? Again, we think fame is going to satisfy us, make us happy. If I can just get verified, if I can just get enough likes and followers, if people would just like me, if I could just be wealthy, if I could just be this, then I would be happy. I want to look at an example in scripture of someone that was given the opportunity to be famous, was well known, and yet handled it the right way. I want to look at the example of John the Baptist. Now, we're not going to turn there in just a moment, but we're going to go to John chapter 3 in just a moment. But I want to give you a little background here on John the Baptist, if you're not familiar with him. Obviously, coming out of Christmas, now we've referenced this. Uh, if you've seen the Nativity movie, uh, his story is in the story of Christ in that movie. But an example that we can follow would be John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist was actually well-known. John the Baptist is a cousin to Jesus. He is born about six months before Jesus. Mary actually visits John's mother, Elizabeth, when she's pregnant with John. And when she entered the room, uh, the baby, John, in the belly leapt, jumped in the belly of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth shares this amazing prophecy of who Jesus is and how Mary is so blessed. John the Baptist grew, grew up and became a prophet, preaching repentance and the preparation of the coming of Christ. And as he's out in the wilderness preaching repentance, dressed kind of like a crazy person, and we talked about this a couple months ago about who John the Baptist was, so I won't go too far into this. But as he's out in the wilderness preaching repentance, preaching all these things, baptizing people unto repentance, the religious leaders, the communities, they're all going out to the wilderness to hear and to see this John the Baptist. Who is this guy? Maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the one we've been waiting for. So they go out to him, and within a moment... He is given an amazing opportunity. I mean, just crowds of people are coming to him. He is known. And he could do one of two things. He can either look at it and say, you know what? I can still do what God wants me to do. I can still please God and prophesy of God's coming and Christ's coming and take a little bit of this fame and attention for myself. I can kind of milk this a little bit. Right? Get a little bit of my own interest met here. I can get a little satisfaction here. And I'll still do what God wants me to do. But I can still get a little bit of benefit myself. I mean, what's wrong with gaining a little from this while I do what God wants me to do? Or he can do what he actually did. You see, John the Baptist is a great example because he handled the attention in the right way. He handled it well. He was well known. The religious leaders are flocking to him. They want to hear him. They've asked questions of him. Are you this? Are you that? And when they ask him, are you the Messiah? I love his response. He says, no, I'm not the Messiah. Now, he could have spent a lot of time talking about who he really was. I'm the forerunner. I was prophesied of in the Old Testament. I'm pretty important. I'm a pretty big deal. You should really pay me a lot of attention. Yeah, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm pretty much the next best thing. And what does John say? John says, oh, no, no, no. His sandals... I'm not even worthy to unloosen his sandals. 
I'm not even willing to untie his shoes. I'm not able to do that. That's how unworthy I am. I can't even untie his shoes. Don't you dare compare me to him. You see, John is a great example because he handled it well. Go to John chapter 3 and verse 20. Oh, I'm sorry, John chapter 3 and verse 30. John chapter 3 and verse 30. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, that's page 745. John chapter 3 and verse 30. You see, John the Baptist is a great example for us when fame comes calling and there's a desire to be known or we begin to be known for something we're doing for God. We have to realize we need to handle it well. We need to handle it well. John 3 and verse 30. Listen to what John says. Simple verse. And if you're encouraged to do so, I would encourage you to maybe memorize this verse this week. Maybe put this to memory, put this to heart, and maybe... This could be your verse for 2022. Maybe this could be what God is leading you to put to heart and to memory for this year. John 3 and verse 30. He must increase, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. You see, John is a great example because he was given all the opportunities to be known, all the opportunities to get all the attention on him, to be famous. And he took his platform that God had gifted him with. And instead of making it about him, he said, no, I must decrease so that Jesus will increase. You see, John's motivation was not that they would know him. John's motivation was this platform that God has given me, this fame that God has given me. And then let me use it to glorify God. It's not me. It's him. Don't look at me, look to Jesus. Don't listen to me, listen to Jesus. And anything that I say or do that encourages you, strengthens you, helps you, challenges you, it's really not me doing it, it's Jesus because he must increase and I must decrease. So let's pause for a second. Let's just take a second to say, what is the platform that God has given you? And you might say, well, I'm not given the platform of that degree. I'm not famous in the sense that crowds are coming out to hear me preach and crowds are coming to see what I'm doing. No, no, no. But God has placed you where he's placed you. He's placed you in your family. He's placed you in your community. He's placed you in your workplace. He's placed you where he's placed you. And that is a platform he's gifted you with. And then the question is, will you increase or will Christ increase on and in that platform? Who's really going to get the attention John's desire is that people would see more of Christ and less of him. If we're being honest, when Jesus came to John to be baptized, and John says, no, 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 Lord, forget this. Like, I can't baptize you. You've got to baptize me. You see, in that moment, John was actually more famous than even Jesus. Jesus wasn't known yet. Jesus wasn't one that was gathering crowds. Jesus wasn't getting all the attention. Jesus came to John, and John was getting all the glory, all the attention, all the fame, all the crowds. And you know what John did with that attention? When Jesus came to be baptized, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And as a result of that proclamation, two of his own disciples leave following John the Baptist and start following Jesus, Andrew and John. Not John the Baptist, a different John, John the Apostle. See how John handled his fame was not to get glory for himself. It was to reflect all the glory back to Christ. I must decrease that he must increase. So how do we guard our hearts from the pursuit of fame, which directs our hearts away from the things of God and serving others towards self? In a culture that pushes this desire to be famous, how do we live what John demonstrated? Simple, easy, it's always and will always be a question of motives. How do I guard my heart against this pull to be known, to, to be the center of attention, to be the one that everyone is looking to, that I would want to increase and Jesus decrease? How do I guard against that? It's a question of motives. Two things I want to give you, and then we're going to wrap it up. Two things I want to give you as far as maybe some questions that you can ask yourself to help you guard against this pull when you feel the attention is being put on you. And we all like that, by the way. 
Well, I shouldn't say we all like that. Some of you don't like attention. Some of you wish you could come in and get out with no one even noticing, for being honest. My wife's that way. She does not want attention. She loves it when she can just kind of hang out in the background, do her thing, and nobody's the wiser. She loves that. But maybe you're here and you feel like, man, I like that, that kind of energy I get from being the attention, getting the attention rather. I want to be famous. How do you guard against that? What's well, a questions, question of motives? The first question we have to ask ourselves is, who are you representing? Who are you representing? We're going to look at a couple more verses. So if you would turn there with me, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The first question we need to ask ourselves to watch our motivations and to guard our motivations and what we're doing is, who are you representing? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're using one of the Bibles, provided page 815. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. Again, a familiar verse. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth here, and he's motivating and challenging the believers in the church with a simple statement in verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. Who are you representing? When you show up, to wherever you're going, who are you representing? When you speak in any crowd, this is the crowd at work and the crowd at church. This is family and friends. See, sometimes we speak one way in church and another way around other people. But you realize the same question applies. Who are you representing when you speak? Not just in church, but in all places. Who are you representing when you post what you post? When you share what you share? When you make that video? When you do that thing? Who are you representing? I want to encourage us to be as honest as possible when we hear that question as we answer that question. Because here's the thing we do. In church we go, obviously as a follower of Christ, I'm representing Jesus. I mean... It's church. I'm supposed to say Jesus. It's like the Sunday school class. The answer is always Jesus. It doesn't matter what the question is. Because if you say Jesus, most Sunday school teachers or junior church teachers are going to pause for a second and go, it's not really the answer, but I mean, Jesus is still a good answer. And somehow inadvertently we can get to Jesus from what they're saying. So yeah, you're fine. And in church, we do this. When I asked the question, when I just said, who are you representing? Some of you, you didn't even think about it. You're just in church and you know the answer is supposed to be Jesus. But if you honestly thought about what you say, what you post, and what you do through the course of a week, would you honestly say between you and God, yes, in every area of my life, I represent Christ. I'll be honest enough to say there's days that that's not true of me. And I don't say that in pride or somehow as though it's, oh, it's all good. I say that in guilt and conviction because I know I am called, not suggested. It's not an opinion. The Bible says you are, you are an ambassador of Christ. And an ambassador is an easy thing to understand. This is not our home in Christ. Amen. You see, we have a different home. The Bible says we're already citizens of his kingdom. And one day we'll leave this world. We'll step from this temporary life and we'll enter eternity before our risen, glorified savior, our father in the spirit. And we'll enter into the joy of the rest of the Lord and we will be home. But see, for a season, God has placed you here on this planet. 
God has placed you here and you are an ambassador. That means what you do, what you say, how you do what you do. It is not you that does those things. It should be Christ in you. And then when people give you credit for those things, it's not you really doing it. It's God in you. And you need to understand your position as an ambassador is to reflect the king of your homeland. That you are here representing the king. And I don't know what that does to you, how that speaks to you, how that encourages or convicts you, but I pray you won't do nothing with it. I pray you would not be calloused and apathetic enough that you would just let that wash off your back without pausing and saying, how do I truly represent Christ? Have I really represented him in what I say, in what I do, in what I post? Now, it's not a legalistic thing. It's not, you know, do these things and God will love you. No, God loves you and has accepted you in Christ, period. And as a result of that, he has asked you and commissioned you and commanded you to represent him in this world. So why would we waste our time being ambassadors for self when we can be ambassadors for the king? Why would we waste our time filling our time with things of this world which are fleeting and and fruitless? when we could be investing in sharing the truth and the treasure of the word of God with others that they might come to know Christ. Again, does this mean we walk around like monks? Just like, you know, chanting and ho he ha ma No, it's not what we're saying. We can enjoy life. We can enjoy the things of life. We can enjoy the blessings God given us. We can engage in things in our culture. That's all fine. But we better make sure that in everything we do, as the Bible says, in all things glorify him. And whatsoever you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, tomorrow, some of you are going to go back to work, back to school. Guess what? New year, new day. Man, God is so good that every morning the sun rises by his grace and we have a new opportunity to make an impact for Christ. And so how are you going to enter this new year? Are you going to keep representing yourself or are you going to decide as an ambassador in Christ, I'm going to represent him? It's a new day. You get the choice. For those of you in school, You're going to walk back into your hallways tomorrow after Christmas break. And guess what? You have an opportunity. It doesn't matter how you walked out of those halls before break. Now you're walking in and you can say, you know what? Yeah, that was foolish what I did last semester. But this semester, I'm representing Christ. And if people don't get it and other kids don't get it, that's not your problem. That's their situation. They need to work that out. So how are we going to represent him? The truth is we are not called to represent ourselves. We are called to something more in Christ. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ. We have been sent by the Lord into this land to represent our king. So how do I avoid giving into that temptation to be known, to be famous, to want everyone's attention on me? How do I guard my heart as John did to take even a platform I'm given and use it for his glory? We ask ourselves the question, who am I representing? Another question we need to ask ourselves, whose approval matters most? So who am I representing and whose approval matters most? See, those two questions will help us guard our motivations. One more passage I want to look to, and I do appreciate you having a copy of God's word with you. Again, if you don't have a copy of God's word, we have some at the Welcome Center we'd love to give you that you can take home with you and have that for your own personal study. First Thessalonians, go there with me. First Thessalonians, page 832, if you're using one of the Bibles provided. First Thessalonians, if you find the book of Colossians, it's the very next book. First Thessalonians, we actually just finished before um, kind of taking our break for Christmas. We just finished first and second Thessalonians on Sunday evenings. It was an amazing little study going through those books. And so I want to look at a verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So chapter 2 and verses 4 through 6. Listen to Paul's words here as he's writing to the church. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which tries our hearts. I love that opening phrase of verse four. And we got to pause and just recognize that. He says, we were trusted by God 
with the gospel. It's not our gospel. It's not our our words. It's the gospel he's given to us and trusted to us. Verse 5. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. So verse 4, God tries our hearts. Verse 5, God is a witness. Verse 6, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you. So he's saying men in general or you, church. Paul saying, church at Thessalonica, I didn't come so you would like me. I didn't come so you'd glorify me. I came that you would know Christ. He goes on to say, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. I love the phrase in verse 4. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God. You see, the question we have to ask ourselves is, who am I representing as I go day to day in this world? But secondly, whose approval matters most? Who are we living to please? This is massively important. As research shows that you will see yourself as the most important person in your life sees you. You will judge yourself and your worth and your image based on how the most important person in your life sees you. So basically, whoever's approval means the most, that person will dictate how you feel about yourself. So how do we apply that in this situation? Well, the truth is, it's so important to understand this reality of whose approval matters most. Because so many believers battle with a life of ups and downs. The solution, however, is actually quite simple. Make Jesus the most important person in your life. Then realize you have been accepted by him through the gospel so you can now live in a way that honors him. Make Jesus the most important person in your life. Then realize that he's already sacrificed, already given, already died on the cross, already rose again, already offered you the gospel, which if you've received it by faith, you are already his, sealed and forgiven until the day of redemption. He's already accepted you. And now we live in reaction to that for his approval. Not in the sense of approve me, Lord, that you might save me. It's Lord, you've already saved me. Now I want to do everything that is approved by you and how I should live. We are not living for the approval of others, but to please our Father in heaven. We are not called to be famous. We are called to be faithful. So what about David? We started looking at David's example there. What about David, whom God made famous? How did David handle that fame? Did he handle it like John the Baptist? We gave a long explanation of how John handled it. How did David handle that fame. I'm going to give you a reference. You can write it down for notes. Psalm 115, verse 1. David writing here. Not to us, David says. Not to us, Lord. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness. You see, how did David handle it when God made him famous and all the nations feared him and knew him? His response was simple. Not to us, Lord but to your name be the glory. David used his platform that he had of God to direct others to God's glory. If God grants us a platform, let's use it to direct them to Christ. Not living for the applause of the crowd, but living for the approval of God. As John said, less of me, more of him. This year, as I was praying about what the Lord would have us to look into for the year, Every year I pray, Lord, give us a guidance and a direction for this year. What would you have us as a church key in on and focus in on this year? And the word that kept coming to my mind that the Lord was just reminding me of was the, the idea of being revived. Being revived in our faith. Giving a new, refreshing awakening to our faith. And so maybe for you, the idea of God reviving your faith is to start simply with less of me, more of him. Lord, revive in me a less of me, more of him this year. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. So we're going to have a word of prayer and then a time of invitation. As you bow your heads right there where you are, I'm going to ask you to just begin to think through those questions I asked. 
question of motivations. Who are you representing? And whose approval matters most? And if you would honestly say that you've been living in a way that you've not really been living representing Christ, then I want you to know that there's grace for you. There's a grace and a forgiveness for you right where you are. It's as simple as repenting and turning from those choices to represent self for the approval of others. Living in fear of others, fear of what they think, fear of what they'll say. And so it pushes us to live in a way that would represent self so that they would like us and they would approve of us. And we're not living for the approval of God. All you need to do is repent of that. Trust in him anew. Ask for his grace because he will give it to you freely. If you know Christ is your savior, you've already been forgiven. It's just a renewing of that relationship. It's simple as saying, Lord, help me to represent you this week. And help me to make your approval matter most. Father, in whatever you're doing by the working of your spirit, I pray that you would be glorified. Lord, I do pray that you would revive us individually and you'd revive us as a church. Lord, not that we were dead or stagnant, Lord, in need of this newness. But Father, I believe that all believers, all followers of Christ, we all can grow more. We can learn more. We can do more of what you've called us to do. And so I pray that you'd revive our hearts, Lord. You'd revive our, our attitudes, our direction. And you'd revive this church that we would continue to be a place that would put more of you and less of us in the, in the center of all that we do. Father, glorify your name in all of this and help us to have wisdom in how we need to apply it. Father, we thank you for this time. May you, again, lead, guide, and direct. And Spirit, may you open our hearts and minds, help us to not hold back, but to be honest, that we might change, being conformed to the image of Christ for your glory. Father, thank you for your grace where we failed you for the strength you've given to us to revive us and make us new. It's a new day, Lord. And I pray that we would live in a way that would bring attention to you today. Father, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet right there where you are? Whatever God is doing, whatever God has led you in this morning, maybe you'd come and pray. Maybe there in your seats or here at the altar, husband and wife, mom and dad, individual, whatever it is, maybe you want to come and say, Lord, we pray that this year as a family, we'd make more of you and less of us. That this year as an individual, more of you, less of me. Whatever God is doing, would you respond either here at the altars or there in your seat?